0: Well, I want to welcome each and every one of you once again, whether you're here in the building, out in the parking lot, or joining us online. We continue to make improvements uh, to the way that we are able to stream, and uh, we are live streaming our worship this morning. So uh, if you have uh, friends or family members that aren't able to make it here with us, make sure that they know about that, that they are able to still be a part of us here. Well, this is uh, part six of our study that I've called Dear Church. And the premise behind this series is in a world that is flipped upside down, what you may expect or what you may at least hope for is that God would send a message to the other side and demand that they repent, demand that they change, or, or that he just flat out destroys them. That's what you would expect or hope. But in Scripture, that's not always what you find, and that's not what we find whenever we turn to the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and 3 of that, that book, we find seven letters that Jesus writes to seven unique churches that are located throughout Asia. And Jesus has a message, not for the world at large, but has a message for the church, how they are to live in the world and yet not be of the world. We've seen the the, the letter to the the church at Ephesus, and and God calls them to renew their love. We've seen and looked at letters where where Jesus says that that times are hard, and they're they're actually going to get much harder. We've seen Jesus write to two churches and and say that, that they are, because of different reasons, but they are accommodating far too much to the world. And this morning, as we introduce the letter to Sardis, I want to introduce it with a video, a 30-second clip from the the great movie, The Princess Bride. So there is a difference between being mostly dead and all dead. Now, while that is said with with quite a bit of humor, that, in essence, is the message that Jesus has for the church at Sardis. And we find it in Revelation chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that last verse, it's repeated in every letter. Let, this, the, let the, those who have ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember that, that th- these letters, they are what's known as circular letters. This, this entire book, or actually it's a letter, Revelation, it is sent to each of these seven churches, and so they get to read each other's mail. Now imagine that you are Sardis, and you're sitting there listening to the message that Jesus sends to the church at Ephesus, and you say, oh no, we're not like that. And you listen to the, the, the letter to the, the church at Thyatira, And you listen to all these other letters, and you say, man, I'm glad we're not like them. Man, Jesus is spot on. He's got them pegged. And then he comes to you. And he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation. You have a name. But you are dead. And so wake up. It's a sad fact that churches die and jesus says that churches die oblivious to to their condition and the threat that they face now i know that you all know someone that claims to be a great driver and yet you do everything you can to avoid getting in the car with them and some of you are elbowing somebody that's close to you Maybe you've seen shows on television, reality shows. Somebody that claims to be a, a great singer, and then they sing, and you wonder, has no one ever told them? Why do they think that they can, can sing? Uh, see, see, Coach Ken Plunk back here, I'm sure you've never had the conversation with a kid or a parent that is convinced that they are the best player on the team and are demanding to know why they're not getting more playing time. And, and you try to be as as tactful as possible in that conversation, but then you walk away and you're sitting there thinking, what 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 are they looking at? That that experience or, or that that mindset of someone that that engages in that behavior—it's known as the Dunning Kruger effect. It's named after the two psychologists that discovered this, and what they discovered ultimately is that the same. Uh, The same skill set in our brain that that is necessary to engage in an activity is the same skill set that we use to evaluate how good we are at it. And so if we're bad at performing that skill set, we're going to be equally bad at being able to evaluate our effectiveness in engaging in that activity. It's something that we all do, and churches, organizations, are just as susceptible Jesus says to this church, you are clueless. You don't have any idea what is going on. And this isn't the only time that this message is given. This message is given repeatedly throughout Scripture. Consider the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 after he's talked about the failure of the Israelites, and and he comes down and he says that all of this happened, and, and, and it's recorded as examples for us. And then he says, so if you think you are standing, watch out. The same words that Revelation uses, wake up so that you do not fall. If you think, if you think that we are doing pretty good as a church, That doesn't mean that we are. And in this letter, Jesus, as he's speaking to not just the church at Sardis, but to all churches, if we have ears to hear, he will provide some clues for us of some symptoms, some things that are going on within churches that ultimately die. The first is that churches die when they live in... The past. God is always at work. And God does some great things. And we are right to remember them. But we need to be careful that that remembrance doesn't turn into worship. Jesus says, You have a name. You are dead. The church at Sardis, the city of Sardis, was a city with a reputation. There were several legends, several stories that were prominent in the minds of the citizens of this city. The city was built up on a hill, and and it was viewed to be impregnable. In one of the stories that took place, Around the the 500s BC, so it's five centuries, uh, almost six centuries before this letter is written. But it's still in the the, the culture. It's a, of a king that is is fighting against the the Persian Empire, and uh, he is overconfident. The Persian Empire just kind of sieges around the city, and uh, they they stayed there for 14 days, and they're they're kind of Dumbstruck, they, they don't know how to, to, to mount this hill to, to even engage into battle until one day a soldier, without paying attention, his helmet fell off and rolled down the cliff. And uh, the, the soldier went down to to go and get his helmet. And the Persian army saw that he took a less precarious route to get down there. And they saw how to gain access into the city. The city was also conquered in, uh, in around uh, 214 by Antiochus. And, and there was an earthquake that, that just shattered the city in, in A.D. Uh, 17. And so all of these these experiences formed this city that they believe that they have a stronghold, they believe that they are sturdy, but in each of them, when they believe they were at their strongest, that's when they fell. I want you to think about as the Israelites traveled from Egypt into the promised land. You remember their, their constant complaining against God they, they just thought that God was somehow out to destroy them, that, that God never provided enough food for them, never provided water. and So they'd start to complain. And God would kind of do something to awaken them, to remind them that, that, hey, I'm the one that has carried you all this way. One of those instances, what what God did was he sent some snakes. And I don't know about for you, but that would wake me up if there were just snakes everywhere. And under the instruction of God, Moses, he He built a a bronze statue out of a stake and put it up on a pole. And and, in Numbers chapter 21, verse 9, we're told that, that anyone that would look at this pole after they'd been bitten by a snake, that they would be healed. This wasn't magic. This was just God displaying that God is in control. So even after the the snakes go away, they carry this pole around them from place to place. They they set it up in the city, in in, uh, Israel, after they claim the land as a remembrance of what God has done for his people. But then, years and years later, we get over to the king Hezekiah, who's one of the, the great reformers We're told that one of the things that he does is he comes and he he destroys that bronze snake because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Isn't that interesting? Something that, that God had actually done, a work that God had done, they began to worship and stay there. Now Let's think about how we can still do that as churches. And for a moment, I'm going to stay on some pretty safe ground. Do you remember the ministry that was known as uh, the, the Joy Buses? I know that many of you participated in the joy buses. Some of you, that's how you came to Christ, was through a joy bus. That was a wonderful work that that God used and and blessed churches and children's lives were transformed through that work. And that work largely does not exist in this world anymore. And most of us are in agreement, it, it, it won't work. Our culture has changed. I mean, it just—it doesn't work to, to um, tell parents that, that, hey, we're just going to drive by, and you're not going to know who the, the driver is. You're not going to know who you're sending your kids with, but you're just going to allow your kids to hop on this strange bus. Right? That, that doesn't work in our world anymore. And so for a church to continue to, to fund... And to say things like, we'll die before we change. To glorify the past. See, churches die when they live for the past. It is always good for us to honor the past, but because we create buildings and because there are people that help fund those, we want to honor them. And, and we, we do a great job of that, and we put up these plaques, and we have, the, we have them in this building, that this person helped fund this. This is in, done in memory of that. But any time we refuse to change any aspect of that, we cease to honor them. Instead, we're moving into attempting to worship them. And as a church, we have to ask the question, are we a part of a museum? Or are we a part of a movement? Just consider all of the people that are Honored in Hebrews chapter 11. And they are always told to leave. And they do. Out of faith. They follow. Whenever churches begin to live for the past, they also begin to live for themselves. That's another symptom of churches that die. There's an old parable that's told of a a dangerous harbor that had just a one kind of rickety shack that a man lived on it lived in and and any time that there was a wreck out in that harbor he would risk his life and limb to go out and save somebody over time the the lives of those that he began to save they they, they were so grateful that they wanted to come back and, and spend time with him. And there were dozens of them and they started to, to, to want to have reunions, to, to have gatherings. And, and all of a sudden, that, that shack wasn't enough and so they pulled their money together and they, they built a, a nice gathering space and they, they built a dining hall where they could share a meal together. And over time, people began to argue over the fact that they they are no longer a life-saving station that all of their their gathering activities actually become they're they're a hindrance to uh, saving the lives of those that crash in the harbor and so there was a split and another shack was built down the down the uh, the way and this happened time and time again and it's said that there are still wrecks that happen in that harbor and most Die. that parable is told to demonstrate what happens to churches that they are started as life saving stations and then all of a sudden our budgets become all about us the things that we celebrate change, we stop celebrating the difference that we 're making for others instead we we celebrate all about us and and what makes us feel good. Tom Rayner, in a book that he titled Autopsy of a De- Deceased Church in preparation for that, he interviewed uh, and and studied all of these churches that that uh, had to close their doors. They just continued to decline in number over the years until they finally shuttered the doors. In that book, he says that every one of those churches had some level of this problem before they died. A significant number of the members moved the focus from others to themselves. And when a church moves in that direction, it is headed for decline and then death. The decline may be protracted, and the death may be delayed, but it is inevitable. The church will die. A church cannot survive long term where members are focused on their own preferences and Any time changes happen and we 've had a lot of changes that have been forced on us over the last seven or eight months and, and I have a number of conversations with people and rarely does a conversation come up about how does this impact those that are not a part of us. In most of those conversations, what is behind them is this is inconvenient for me. And so I want you to change it. I want it to go back to the way that things are because this is about me. But Jesus says to the church at Sardis, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. the church functions differently than the world this week we're as you probably uh, have heard maybe by now that we have an election coming up. We live in a world that is our country is governed by a democracy. The church functions differently. The church has never been governed. By a democracy. It is always governed by people who are are called by God and they discern what God wants for the church. And I know that that makes us uncomfortable, and yes, there absolutely has to be accountability. But what is most important is to remember our mission, remember what you have heard. And received, and what did the church's artists hear? What did they receive? They heard the gospel. Paul will say in Galatians that, that, that there is no other gospel than what he has preached. In 1 Corinthians 15, he, he lays out what the gospel is. That he passed on to the Corinthians of what is first importance. That Christ died and he was raised again. It is the life-saving story of Jesus, It's the, the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. You remember that, don't you? Repent and be baptized at the end of the sermon. He says, Every one of you in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget the next line. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. In churches that die, the great commission slowly becomes the great suggestion. And so are we as a church going to value going as much as we do coming? Because the Great Commission demands that we go out into the world. And as we go, it is imperative that we do not lose our distinctiveness. Because churches that die, they also begin to live for now. Look again at verse 4. Jesus says, you still have a few followers of Jesus in Sardis who haven't ruined themselves wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. They'll walk with me on parade. They've proved their worth. Whenever you picture the city of Sardis, you can't picture a city like Amarillo where there's a church on every corner. Instead, there is a synagogue and Christians, for the most part, still participated in the Jewish synagogue. The synagogue in Sardis is located right next to the gymnasium, which was a unique feature in the ancient world. What it indicates, likely, is that they were accepted. They, they were very much at home in this city. And that fits with what Jesus is saying here, that there, there are some, there's a minority, that haven't soiled themselves that most, they have so accommodated to the world that there is no difference between them and the world. Another feature that is unique to this letter is there is no mention of Satan. In many of the other letters, there's a mention uh, that this is where Satan lives or or that that there is a a work of Satan that's being done, but, but there is no work of Satan here. Why is that? I'm going to suggest that it's because they have accepted a functional atheism. That they are are, are claiming the name of Christ, but they are not living as if they are followers of God. There is always pressure to adopt the values and practices of this world. In London... 1844, a man by the name of George Williams started several gatherings with the stated intention of the improvement of uh, the spiritual condition of young men through Bible studies and other uh, prayer gatherings. That movement in London began began to spread outside of london it moved over to the united states and following the great war there became a division within the leaders of that that movement the division was over um, what what matters most the, the word or the deed what you do or what you say what you believe or how you live and as new generations of leaders within that movement came up, they began to stray further and further from that stated mission of of improving the spiritual condition. By the time the 1970s and 80s, that organization known as the Young Men's Christians Association or the YMCA began to focus solely on physical fitness uh, facilities for families. By the year 2010, they just simply became the why. And not to take away from the service that that organization provides, but I think you could say that they lost their why. That what became most important was, was meeting the bottom line, was staying out of the red. And that is a pressure that all Followers of Jesus will face. The question for us today is, are we trading our most valuable asset? The one thing that the church offers to this world that no other organization, no other group can offer is Jesus Christ. And we must never forget that that is why we exist. It is Jesus who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. It is He who is is going to be the one that, that will confess our name to the Father. And if we are to be faithful, we must remember what we have heard and hold to that. Father, we ask for ears to hear. We ask for eyes to see not just the problems within the world, but to see our own unfaithfulness and the courage to repent, to change, to renew our faith in You. And Father, we we know that, that there are some here who who have not soiled their clothes, that they walk with you. And Father, I pray that you would make us sensitive to them, that that we would uh, listen to the, the words and the counsel that they have to offer to us as they lead us into the future so that we can bring glory and honor to your name today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Dusty's picked a song of invitation. If you'd like to respond to the message this morning, our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center, and I'll be at the front to receive you. We invite you to come as we stand and sing together.